0: Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me, I'm Howard Parker. Joe Newberry has been making music with his guitar, banjo, and voice for most of his life, although only becoming a full-time music professional shortly after his 58th birthday. Here's Joe talking with Katie Daly about his music, his songwriting, his teaching, and the business of show business.
1: Sort of rewind the whole life of Joe Newberry. Born a small child in yes. Cape
2: Girardeau, Missouri. Oh. Where is that close to? Cape Girardeau, Missouri is on the Mississippi River. It's halfway between Memphis and St. Louis. Um, and I was born in 1957. My dad was a judge for the Division of Workmen's Compensation. My mother was a homemaker. We had music in my family. I, I grew up singing. Uh, when I was six, I moved Further south in Missouri, down actually in the area that Arkansas swallows up, it becomes the called the boot heel. It Mm -hmm. looks just like a boot heel, Uh, and I lived lived there um, for about ten years. uh, Then moved to Columbia, Missouri, uh, where I went to my last two years of high school and college. What's what college? The University of Missouri. Okay. Are they the Missouri Mules? No. I, well, the, all Missourians are Missouri Mules, but we're um, the Missouri Tigers.
1: Oh, okay. And then I've often heard you say you weren't born in North Carolina. I, I got you, there as quick
2: as I could. Okay. And why was that? I had a I had a friend in college that I played music with, um, and he when he graduated he took a job at the Chapel Hill newspaper. Um, And after he was about a year ahead of me, he, as he left, I moved up. I had been living in Arkansas, uh, but I moved back to Columbia. My mother was in her final illness, and my dad hardly ever did this, but he said, son, I I need you to come home, and I did. Uh, And I stayed for about the last year of my mother's life. When she passed away, I, I spent about two months solid with my dad and then I needed a little walk around, mm-hmm. a little walk about. And so I called my friend Rob, and I said, I'd like to come to North Carolina and just visit, because we had talked about it, um, you know, back in the the days of, of the actual letter that came in the mailbox. Come on out here. Come on. We'll play some music. Well, I got out there, and my car broke down. I mean, whenever I would be on Prairie Home Companion, Garrison loved, you know, that's not true. I said, "Yes, it's true." My car broke down. I got a job at the Chapel Hill newspaper where my friend worked to get enough money to pay for the the repairs. But when you're in your early twenties, your life can change really quick. And I met a bunch of people that played music, um, and and
1: just stayed. Well, now you mentioned that you came from there was music in your family. Uh, but where did your where did you start playing your
2: instruments who did you learn from i i started singing first with my my family the old family songs and i from the time i was 5 or 6 i i would you know sing with my dad and my uncles my aunts and my mom then when i was about 14 um I, there was a girl that i liked in the neighborhood and she was taking guitar lessons and i thought Aha! but Really, what happened is that I started playing guitar and started backing up my family when we would sing. And uh, played guitar, uh, started going to fiddle contests. I was about 15. I was at the Boone County Fair, walking across the fairgrounds, and I heard fiddle music, and my head swiveled. And I walked. You ever seen. a zombie movie where they're walking with their arms <laughs> out in front of them is that what you did <laughs> That's sort of what I did and I walked over and there there was the fiddle contest at the Boone county fair and I just I walked into the tent and I sat down and I said, I have to know how this works and I started playing backup guitar, and a few years later I started playing. Banjo and then fiddle after that. Well,
1: now you say you started playing. You just picked it up and and you knew how to do it, or you went to lessons, uh, formal but, lessons, or just your friends showed you what to do.
2: My the my first chords came from this young lady named Tori Byrne in in my neighborhood. Uh, but then you know, I I got my own I got my own guitar for Christmas that year. Um, oh, there, that was. That was the greatest. It wasn't a trick. Well, it was kind of a trick. My, I, I, I would. I said to my mom and dad, "I really want a guitar. I really want a guitar." Oh, son, my dad would say, "You don't. You won't stick with it." And my mother said, "No, we don't have the money for it honey, They had already bought me a guitar. Oh, okay. And so we were spending Christmas down uh, in the Boot Hill. We were going down to stay with uh, our friends, the Spitzers. And they needed to get the guitar down there, but they didn't want to show me. So I got sent out on some errand, and mother had dad put the guitar underneath uh, down. You know, it was a huge old Buick, so you could. There was lots of room down on the floorboard. And then she said, "I don't feel well. Maybe, maybe you can make a pallet for me." And so mother rode like a queen down the river road. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that really was my best, my best Christmas present ever. And and it was a Lyle guitar, brand name Lyle, and a, a cheap, really a plywood guitar. And I asked my mother, I said, Mother, what made you choose that guitar from all of those guitars at Ken Shepherd's Crazy Music? And she said, Well. I just love that Lyle Wagoner on the Carol Burnett show. Oh. He's a good looking, he's a good looking guy. So
1: that was why. Yeah. That's as good a reason as any. That's as good a
2: reason as any. All
1: right. So now you're in North Carolina with your pals, mm-hmm. and you've learned to
2: play the fiddle um, uh, enough to drive. My friends out of the room. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Guitar and banjo. banjo. Clawhammer style. Clawhammer style. Yes, ma'am. And do you play bluegrass? I know enough three finger to get myself thrown out of a good session. Okay. But, but I can I can hang for a little while. Okay. So clawhammer. And were you making
1: a living with your music, or were you still working at the paper, or what were you doing?
2: I was I was working at the the, the newspaper, and and I've always been uh, one of those musicians that would I would go someplace on Thursday. I'd play as hard as I could Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come back as late as I could on Sunday, and then go back to work. Um, and that that was my... I mean, that was the modus operandi for, um, until three and a half years ago when I left I left day work. Um, because I had a chance to go do uh, the Transatlantic Sessions tour in the UK. Well, explain what that is. That's Jerry Douglas and Allie Bain and about... 12 of the most talented musicians from America and the UK uh, as, as the orchestra and then they invite five or six singers to sing on the tour and i was one of the singers so you
1: left your day job completely i left my day
2: job yeah i had been i've been ruminating about something that, that garrison keeler had said to me after uh, we did one of his solo shows. He was in Durham and I went and played with him. And afterward he said, do you want to do music all the time? And I said, you know, I think I do. He said, well, you should do it now. You've got a great future behind you. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Right. So when the chance uh, came up to do the transatlantic sessions, I, I talked to... Susan, my wife, and, and I said, I, I don't want to pass this up. She said, book six months work solid and then do it. Right. So I did.
1: Uh, how long is the Transatlantic
2: Atlantic tour? Is it several weeks? It's a couple two? of weeks. Okay. It's a couple of weeks uh, at the end of Celtic Connections, which is the big festival in Glasgow that lasts the month of January. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I felt like I was at the, the point In my musical life, where I didn't want to split it anymore, and and that that thing from Garrison, and what he said, really, it really, uh, it it struck home, because you know, the sun still shines on me just like everybody else, but it's closer to the horizon, you know. After all, I am (laughs) ninety-seven, and so so I decided that I, I wanted to take this chance while I felt good, while I was playing good. Um, i'm and I'm lucky I have um, i I do solo work uh but i I play in my two favorite duos I'm in my two favorite duos I play with Mike compton as Compton and Newberry and I play with April Virch as Newberry and virch and so i've I've got this great these great partnerships and then I love to go out and do stuff on I teach music camps i Um, We'll do songwriting workshops, as I'm doing this weekend in in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, I opened my life up to the living. Uh, So when something crosses the threshold, I'll do it. Um, I I actually um, did my first keynote a couple of years ago at a conference. What did you talk about? I talked about um, the role of music in Southern culture. You know, a small, tiny topic, of course. (laughs) But I... Um, I used music and stories to sort of place it in context. And, and who was your audience? Uh, it was uh, some academics and some um, local folks. It was uh, in Spartanburg, South Carolina. The, the conference was called From Okra to Opry.
1: <laughs>
2: That's clever. Yeah.
1: That's clever. So uh, how did you and April
2: uh, make a partnership there? Did you meet her at a festival, or...? We have known each other, uh, about each other, for a long time. And our good friend Janet Kinworthy kept saying to me, yes, Janet uh, Jan- and- at the Rooster's Wife right. in Aberdeen, North Carolina, Janet kept saying to me, you should you should play some with April, you'd have a good time. And she was saying the same thing to April. You should play with Joe, you'd have a good time. I. I- most of my work at that point was either with the guys who started the Red Clay Ramblers, uh, Jim Watson, Bill Hicks, and Mike Craver. We, we played together for many years until Bill Hicks passed away last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and my duo partner, Mike Compton, was on a run, a solo run to Australia. He, he plays in, in Australia a fair amount. And so I needed to do some work. And so I called April up and said, Hey, I've got some time. Would you like to do... Uh, some some work together and she said, yeah and so we sort of went around it the opposite way we booked four or five shows and then met <laughs> huh. and we got on like a house of fire and our music fits really well together um, so um, one of our first shows um, was up uh, in Canada uh, uh, April is from the Ottawa Valley of Canada, and we got a, a show, some shows at the Celtic Colors Festival in Nova Scotia, and we just clicked. Did you allow uh, uh,
1: several weeks to practice before your first show, or we had uh, your
2: first show was it? We we had one really good practice session, sort of traded some songs back and forth. Uh the first we had a couple of gigs before Celtic colors, and we just we worked on stuff that we we knew we could capture right away and uh, between her dancing and her fiddling and her singing sometimes she does all three at the same time mm-hmm. they don't even notice me you know I'm over there flailing away on the banjo and and there she's <laughs> she's doing all that but we we it's a good it's a good partnership and it's um you know, and then my work with Compton. There is all. He's a one and only. He's a one and only player. And uh, our first show, uh, I, I actually had called him up uh, because a, a friend of mine I was supposed to do a show with in Charlotte got called out of the country, and Mike and I knew each other from. Um, I, I I had uh, engaged him to come teach mandolin for me. At when I ran Old Time Week at Augusta, mm-hmm. the Augusta Heritage right. Center in West Virginia, we had not uh, met. And I, when my friend Collier canceled, I called Mike up and I said, "Hey, you 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 wouldn't want to come do this little? It's a little, little show, but would you? You wouldn't want to do that, would you?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm not doing anything that weekend." He drove over to Charlotte, where where the show was. And Katie, we put together two sets in about a half an hour before could again things that we knew that we could do. And we started playing and the audience I we caught them looking at each other like, I thought these guys didn't play together because the the blend that Mike and I have you can't buy. And it's it's one of it's one of the happiest Things that ever happen to me musically.
1: Well, uh, he's known as being um, Monroe specialist, and I'm sure you can do any kind of music you want. But where did you uh, get all your Monroe stuff to play with him?
2: Uh, I, I tend to to follow his lead on on Monroe just because he is he is the Monroe guy. But I'll tell you what, he loves old time music too. And he loves blues, and he's one of my favorite singers on the planet. And that's that's the thing that I didn't I didn't foresee that our voices blend so well. And um, so, uh, but uh, we don't. We'll go overseas, and they'll they'll say over there, "Oh, we love your bluegrass." And it's well, we don't play bluegrass. We we play some of the music that Monroe used. Right. And so, and and it, it, Mike will play a, a Monroe piece. Or, or two in the show, but but it's it's not that I, I'm more we're more uh, akin to Charlie and Bill Monroe uh, with that that um, that mandolin and guitar or the mandolin and the banjo, which you know. All right.
1: Well, tell us where duet fits into the history of country music.
2: Well, you know a lot of the, a lot of the duets um, that I love and. Uh, and uh, made a big splash in the thirties and the forties. They were they were brother and sister duets. Part of that is the fact I think that family bands. If you want to if you want to study great music, listen to a pair of brothers or a brother and sister or two sisters. Listen to them sing, and how they phrase things exactly the same, and they breathe at the same time, and they pronounce their words exactly the same way. And that's a great bass and i th- and I think that one of the things about country music is that it's really homemade music before all the glitz and all the rhinestones and all the nudie suits right. I think it's 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 music that people made in their homes It's one of the reasons we love playing for intimate gatherings or house concerts on a on a way we'll often do a house concert on the way to Uh, uh, a Performing Arts Center show, uh, like on a uh, a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. But those shows turn out to be some of our most memorable. It's homemade music. And in an intimate setting. I mean, you're right up next to these people. People love to see what you're doing. It's like about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, they opened up kitchens so people could see the meals being made. (laughs) Yes. People love to see musicians apply their trade and and not have everything be so formula. Alright, so you have
1: three different musical sources, just you, Joe Newberry, Joe Newberry and Compton, 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 Compton and, and Newberry. Newberry yeah, and, and Newberry and Virch. Right. Yeah. And uh, in addition to that you do seminars
2: or Seminars and, and workshops and and teaching camps. And you also teach songwriting. That is something that has been... It's, it's this little nugget of joy that has come about in the last four or five years. I've, I've written songs my whole life. Mm-hmm. My first song song—it was a blatant rip-off of the Kingston Trio. It was called Hang Down Your Head, Bugs Bunny. I was five. <laughs> um, but I've written songs my whole life. My, my family loves poetry. We Love the way words roll around in our mouth, and I like helping people access their stories and their nuggets of truth. Because once you do that, and like Mr. Munro said, you know these are true songs. They don't have to be true life, but they have to be true to life. And so, I, and I, I'm I'm blessed that I ran into the Gibson brothers. Eric and Lee Gibson have been good to me, and they've they've uh, been. Good friends ever since we met we we got together and met we were both we were all teaching at Augusta in West Virginia mm-hmm. and we were having these amazing song circles. It was like you could we 'd have great fiddle tunes from the, some of the fiddlers were there we'd play songs we'd do old songs. Eric played one. I sang one and I said, God, that's great. Where'd that come from? And he said, We wrote that. So I wrote I sang one that I wrote. And he said, Where did you learn that? And I said, Well I wrote that. And we started trading back and forth. And by the end of that week, they had decided to put two of my songs on their next album. Uh and, and they're just as they're just as good a guys as you wanna, wanna ever meet. And I I kind of wish that my folks were still alive. So I could take the Gibsons home with me and say, "See, see, I can have nice friends." <laughs>
1: Were your parents worried about that? Oh, I think they did. No. How do you teach someone to write a song? Do they have to have that rhyming bent about
2: them to begin with, or they don't have to have a rhyming bent, but they do have to like wordplay, and they have to like they have to like just rolling around stuff in their head and and trying to... My whole goal is to get folks to access some sort of truth, because that's where a song starts. Um, And I will often have people write about their day before. It's fresh in their mind. Everybody's days, I find, has moments of hilarity or fun and something that's hard. Often people will write about the hard thing that they did that previous day. And I do I do, writing exercises where people just write. And they don't lift their pen from the, from the paper when they're, you know, I, I don't let them backspace. I don't let them stop and think about what they're writing. I, it's just free-form writing. And for about ten minutes, I'll stop and I'll say, Okay, read it over. And sometimes I'll hear somebody gasp. And I'll say, Do you feel comfortable sharing what you just wrote? Sometimes they say no. But sometimes they say yes. And it's a. That's a often, if you can bypass that little governor, you know, people lie to themselves even in their diaries. Oh, really? Well, people say, Oh, that. Um, no, that doesn't that that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound right. If you can get somebody to say something true, that's a place a song starts. Yeah. Okay, and then what about the the melody that goes with it? Well, you know, Hank Williams said um, he would always ask people, "Do you want my fast melody or my slow melody?" I, but uh, there there are ways to. Um, unlock a, a melody where, you know, we only have a certain number of chords. But often a song will start lower, go high, come back down, the The chorus or the bridge will go to a different part of the structure, it'll go to, the, to a four chord or a, a minor chord. And what I'll do is I'll listen to somebody's melody and I'll say, well, that, that's that's the place to start now let's instead of putting doing a chord like like a C chord there do the same C chord but up the neck and, and lift that little finger and uh, the other thing that I will have folks do is find a note that's a little little either jarring or a little bit out of the ordinary and at, at, there's a song I know whose tears would come down to me that that the Gibsons recorded. Mm-hmm. There's one, there's one little note that it just it makes your, it makes your ears wiggle a little bit, and and it, it it's a it's a harmony point, but it's also just a great great note. Okay, so I was uh, visiting Mrs. Gibson
1: the other day, yes. and, uh, having breakfast, looking out the window, and. We saw in the field across the road a huge Angus cow Mm -hmm. walking very with great purpose. She was not stopping to eat or lollygag. She was walking down that field, and so Mrs. Gibson called all the neighbors to say whose cow was that, and nobody knew. And then a few minutes later, she actually jumped out of her chair because there was a bull standing in the driveway, and I mean, this bull almost looked like a cartoon. He was that muscular, and uh, you know, he looked like that snorting, pawing bull you see in Bugs Bunny cartoons. And he surveyed her property there, and came a little bit up the driveway, and then decided no, nope. and he went back down the road, the way the cow was going, and before we could sit down to discuss this, he turned around and ran as fast as possible down the road and so she then started calling the wider they could never find out really who owned those or where they were supposed to be until later that day or the next day we went past the field where they all had recongregated, yep. and were back there i don't know who put them there or they went by themselves do i have a song in
2: that you do i do you do the setting as I sat on the porch of my house mm-hmm. and looked across the field below, I saw a cow who was looking intent, neither left nor right, but seemed to know where to go. Okay, yeah, we're talking. Yeah. And- so you've got your you've got your setting, you've got um, I, I I stood I stood to look and noticed there a bull. In full array. He noticed her. He approached her there, and what's more, I cannot say. Oh. <laughs> okay, she was long gone before she, he got the, there. there actually, go. <laughs> but but that that's the thing is that um, uh, your 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 story. Because it's true, anybody who's ever watched an a, a, an old bull, a massive old bull come into the paddock that's that's all true.
1: yeah, very scary though we We weren't sitting on the porch, we didn't go
2: outside. he was yeah. very scary. all right, so you you're a good storyteller, and so uh, a lot of a lot of it, and sometimes what I will do is I will have uh, if if you and I were in a songwriting workshop. I'd have you write a little short story and give as much detail as you could like you just did and you were you were watching uh this cow so intently and then saw you know this bull and it looked like if you opened up the dictionary and saw a picture of a a bull, it would be this bull
1: it would be it would yeah. have been. So let's talk a little bit about the business of. First of all, who does all? You
2: have to do all the driving. That's a lot of driving. It is. I tell people, and uh, if I'm doing a solo run, I just I look at myself like I am a uh, long distance trucker, and Mm -hmm. my cargo is music. Okay. Um, You know. Do you have
1: to leave a, a a little extra time so that you can? Rest and all that. I mean, you have to plan that all in. I I
2: usually build in a little bit of extra time on either side. I'm lucky. um, uh, I learned early from my from my father to not be late. Uh, He was a when he would uh, when he was an attorney uh, and uh, needed to be on a docket call when the judge would call lawyers. Right. I made my father late once. Ooh. And I was sitting there in court with him. We had driven to St. Louis and I had messed around and I had not been in the car when I was supposed to be. And the judge said, Mr. Newberry, you were late. And my father stood up and he said, Your Honor, I have no excuse. And the judge said, that'll be $100. And back in the 60s, <laughs> uh, it was I think it was $10 a minute or something. We were 10 minutes late. It taught me that you didn't make excuses. You accepted the res- the it was his responsibility ultimately, but guess who worked <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to pay him back? Good for him. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, Mike Compton, he he's a he's a great person on the road. April Verch is great on the road. What makes someone great on the road? Um, easy to. Easy to be with. They're both just real interesting folks. Um, they would both rather be an hour early than a minute late, which I love. Um, they have plans A, B, and C mm-hmm. when we travel. Um, and and uh, uh, you mentioned show business. It's a two-part word. It's show and business. And and I'm lucky to to have been around. Jim Watson, Bill Hicks, and Mike Craver. I'm lucky to to have learned uh, about road stuff from Compton, and April is about the best business person I've ever run into. Really? In any in any um, profession, she's just an amazing business person, and and a good model. In by what when you say a good business person, what do you mean? Do you- she uh, she's professional in her dealings with with everyone she comes in contact with she when she advances a show nothing is left to chance she she answers questions she's unfailingly cheerful um but she she gets out what she needs and so there're no there're no surprises and then and then she will she will do a spreadsheet of of expenses on the tour it's it's great so do you have to book uh all your gigs, or do you have an agent, or uh, Mike and I have just uh, moved from um, our, our previous agent, and we're we're hoping to get some some other help in because it 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 takes it it allows you when you have an agent, it allows you to concentrate a little bit more on the on the music side and working on the material and and letting somebody and it also, it it gets. It it takes away some of the weariness of, hi, you should hire me. I'm so good. Mm-hmm. Um, April and I have someone that helps us, um, uh, and and that's a, that's a good that's a good partnership to have. And for my solo stuff, I just I just do myself. Mo- most most of my solo stuff, people call me, or I'm doing a camp or something like that, and I, and I don't need I don't need an agent's help on that.
1: So, what difficulties have you encountered
2: uh,
1: that maybe you didn't think about before you stepped off the off the
2: plank into the music world? Uh, it's uh, uh, my number one difficulty was not understanding that I had complete and total control over what I do, and so I can turn something down if somebody's making an an offer that that is not worth my while or the the while of the the people I'm playing with it's something i've worked really hard at saying you know i've i've looked at all these numbers and i just can't make this work and i wish you i wish you luck with your i wish you luck with your event but but i just, i can't do this
1: that is a really gracious way of saying no well, it know, says I'd like to do it, but, but you have to meet my yeah, monetary and, needs and, without bringing
2: all that up. Uh, and the other thing is that sometimes I'll say, you know, if if this is your budget, I know some folks, local folks, that you might be able to call, and and I like that little no, that notion of of the little kindnesses mm-hmm. because maybe the next time. They'll they'll have a little bit more of the budget that we'll be able to bring bring me or bring one of the duos or and make it happen. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 you just have to you just have to say, well, that I, I can't I can't make that work. I Can't make that work. Um, but I'm lucky that I grew up with my with my dad, my mom. They were hard-working folks. And, and real stand-up folks, and it's a it's a it's a nice way to to have a model when when you uh, when you approach anything. The other the other great teachers I had, um, I, I count them as my three greatest bosses. My first great boss, I cut fabric and did industrial sewing when I was in college. And my my boss was named Jack Cummings. And Jack, I was moving some fabric around a table, and he said, oh, thank you very much. I said, what? He said, you just lost me money. I said, how did I do that? He said, that piece of material, you touched it twice. You only needed to touch it once. He said, every time you touch something more than it needs to be touched, you lose money. And I thought, wow. My second great boss was uh, Fred Voltee, my first editor at the paper. And he had Uncle Fred's Rules of Editing. And those rules were think and think again, don't make the reader work. And number three was it can always be shorter. And I have followed that in every bit of my career. I, and I use it in in um, uh, uh, as, as a musician now when I'm writing a song. Don't make the the listener work. If you are singing something that doesn't make sense, the audience is going to stop listening to you, and they're going to try and figure out something that sticks out to them. It Can always be shorter. You know, I I would I would much rather make people. Um, glad they came to see me, rather than, oh my God, is he never going to stop. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, Grandpa Jones. I was lucky when I was a young man to, to spend some time with Grandpa Jones. And Grandpa always said, don't make people happy twice, once when you start and once when you stop. <laughs>
1: That's a good one.
2: <laughs> my third my third greatest boss was my friend Mary Ann Friend. And the first day I worked for her at the Department of Cultural Resources, uh, actually, the North Carolina Arts Council is where I started working with her. But the first day I, she called me in to her office for a meeting and she said, We are going to have many, many successes together. But we're also going to have things that don't turn out as planned. And I want you to come in and tell me the bad news first. And we'll fix it together. That is great advice. So, when you're solo, how do you? Who do you go to to fix it? Sometimes uh, I'll have to ask myself, "What can I do to make this right?" Mm -hmm. If 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 there's not some if something goes wrong, if I'm working, if I'm uh, doing a show and something's not quite right, I I'm lucky. Uh, to uh, to have uh, learned from Compton who learned from John Hartford that everything is part of the show. Just make it part of the show. Make the audience move the way they need to move. Um, sometimes if you run into somebody who does not follow through on what they say they're going to do contractually, it means that you need a contract. And so I do a contract
1: do you have any of those uh, clauses those red M&M's only backstage I
2: don't I don't I don't do do that um, but only because um, uh, the days of those kind of presenters are sort of over because of social media people people will if somebody's had a a rough experience people will will share that Um, I always looked when I uh was in my 40s I started working for the Eno River Association in Durham North Carolina, and they put on the festival for the Eno every year mm-hmm. and i I looked at riders you know on contracts, and every rider tells a story such it as? wouldn't be, it wouldn 't be in the contra- in the rider unless there was a story behind it, and the one that always sticks out is artist must have an unopened roll of toilet paper in the dressing room bathroom. Think about it. You go in there, you're getting ready to do a show and you look around, and sometimes when you need it and it's not there, that's a bad feeling. Um, And it's obviously happened to them. It has obviously happened or it would not be in the rider. Um, the the whole thing about the green M and M's or the red M and M's is just to see if people are reading reading the material. Um, a, a lot of times, I will ask um, for fruit rather than sweets in in the writer because I, I I'm sort of off off sweets. Um, I, you know, it's possible to, to strike through anything on a contract uh, if, if if both sides agree to it. You can you can strike out. You know, I I, I know lots of places that that uh, you cannot have alcohol, uh, and it's in a band's contract. A uh, writer that that they will want um, want a six pack of whatever beer they like, and if it's a presenter that's working a, on a university campus or in a church, they just. Line it out, line it out. Interesting. Yeah. I I just um, I, whether I'm playing with other folks or um, or playing by myself, want to get a want to get a fair wage, and and for for what what we're bringing, I, you know, when I was at the festival for the Eno, you know, I was. <laughs> talking to somebody uh, about coming to play for us and it was a non-profit and it was all money raised from the festival went to buy parkland we we pay a modest stipend and i was talking to somebody one time on the phone and i said well you know i can't pay a whole lot but it's really good exposure and there was this sort of crackling on the line and then this fella said well joe people die of exposure <laughs> And I never used that again. Uh, on the other side of that is a friend of mine who I said, "Man, how'd you get that, that old blues man to come to come play on your album?" He said, "Oh, it's an old musician trick called $500." Pay what you're getting. Pay what you
1: get Pay what you're getting. Okay. Well, any advice to anyone else who's thinking about leaving those day jobs and, and striking out into the music business.
2: First thing is to to have health insurance. Do not let it go. Don't make any sort of move that doesn't doesn't protect you and your family that way. The other thing is, if you're wanting to go out and play music to become famous, that's not that's not that should not be your your sole purpose um, because this kind of music you have wonderful fans i've got i've got great fans that i've developed but they're also friends and i and i i don't want i don't want to have my what i do based on the next level of fame cuz there's really for me i'd rather be known as a good journeyman musician and songwriter and singer and a and a good person um, I go to these booking conferences and I look at folks and I, I sometimes I call it the hall of desperation where you're walking down these showcase rooms and there's nobody in the rooms and you're walking by and, and people are just emoting but they're not being they're not being honest. You know, Hartford said you can spot a phony from the back row. You know, if if there's a phony on stage, they can they can tell it. And if you're not being real with what you're doing, you'll lose them. And once you lose them, you're not going to be able to get them back. You just got to be yourself. Mm -hmm. I will say that when I was first starting to play with Watson and Craver and Hicks, we went by Craver, Hicks, Watson, and Newberry. We call ourselves the law firm. Because um, the Ray Clay Ramblers still a, a great band. Still, a, we couldn't use that Ramblers name. Right. Cause the Ramblers are still out there playing and playing great. So, um, but I I noticed just how self assured those guys were and how compelling they were. And I I asked Hicks, Bill Hicks the fiddler. I said, How how are y'all so compelling? And he said, Well, we're ourselves. But we're about ten percent bigger on stage. Interesting. Mm-hmm. They were not a bit phony, but they just looked like they knew what they were doing. And it, when you when you look like you know what you're doing, the audience just relaxes into it. It's like, oh somebody who can entertain me and somebody who somebody who's who's good at what they do. So you're glad as you look back on your birthday. You're glad you made that switch. I am. I am. I wouldn't I didn't want to be I was I was 58 when I left day work. And I didn't want to be 68 and and say, "Oh, damn. I didn't do it." So I'm I'm feeling good, I'm playing good, I'm having a great time. Um I'm secure, in the, I'm secure in the knowledge that I'm never going to be famous, and that's okay with me. But I, I think that I've got a good reputation. Let's not forget the
1: business of the business, and that is telling everyone where they can find your music or uh,
2: learn more about you or how to book you for the big act. Uh, they can go, They can find me online at www.joenewberry.me. Our website should be about me. Um, if for Compton and Newberry stuff, it would be ComptonandNewberry.com, dot com, and for uh, my work with April Virch, you can find that at AprilVirch.com. dot com. Folks can just enter uh, Joe Newberry banjo, big white hat, whatever, and the, they'll uh, I'll show up. Hell, I'll probably show up at their house. <laughs> Like you did here. Like I did here. You didn't even... I mean, I don't. did you even know I was coming? Yes. Okay. I didn't know.
1: Actually, I, I thought about making you a cake or something, but I remember
2: reading that you were being good with your diet and stuff. That's And that's the one thing that uh, uh, being on the road will slip up on you. And, and I, I gave myself a good talking to and sort of caught it before it, it went too far down the road. Um, uh, and... It, uh, other advice uh, one more bit of advice for anybody who's trying this is do not make the road an excuse to party it's not a party it's it's your job um, and and don't um, don't uh, eat like four times a day or eat in the car um, and, and you know because you you want to be able to fit in your stage clothes Thank you Joe thank you for uh, inviting me to come and, and talk and um, I, I look forward, always look forward to thank seeing you.
0: Thank you. That was Katie Daly talking to Joe Newberry. More about Joe Newberry at Newberry.me. More about Mike Compton and Joe Newberry at comptonandnewberry.com. And more about April Virch and Joe Newberry at AprilVerch.com. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on SoundCloud.com with links from our Facebook page, which is Bluegrass Stories, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, Google Podcasts, and KatieDaily.com. Thanks for listening. Come back often.